What is up? It's The Rant. My name is Jeff Rackliff, and it is Tuesday, June 15th. And our fantasy football preview series rolls on today. We're going to be talking the Chicago Bears. Is this perhaps the end of the Matt Nagy regime? I don't know. I know some Bears fans might hope it is, but maybe they bought themselves some extra time with the first-round selection of Justin Fields in this year's draft. So, of course, a big question that we need to answer when will Fields be under center? Of course, there's others, uh, other elements to this team. Of course, David Montgomery and his amazing finish to last year. Uh, we also have the wide receiver position. And, and hey, man, uh, Cole Komet, not bad for his rookie campaign. But let's dive into the quarterback position since it really is kind of pivotal to this entire team. So the Mitchell Trubisky era is officially over. And, of course, during free agency, the team did bring in Andy Dalton, signed him on a one-year deal. That is a bridge quarterback if I've ever seen it. And, you know, honestly, for the Bears, that type of deal made sense because while it wasn't trading for Russell Wilson, at least you had a guy who could start for you. I know it's not a high-end starter, but Andy Dalton can start in the NFL still is what it is. That doesn't mean to be fantasy viable. It just means he can be a starting caliber quarterback very low end, but you had to do something. So they did something. Now, they also put themselves in a very interesting position, trading up to the 11 spot and getting Justin Fields, who a lot of people thought could have even been the number three overall pick at various points in the pre-draft process. I think as we got to the very end and, you know, the Mac Jones thing went out of control Fields was decidedly the number three on that list. A lot of people had it either as Jones or Lance, but still, he could have been the fourth overall pick. Somebody could have traded up to four with the Falcons and gotten him. So it was a bit surprising he slid all the way down to 11. I think a few things we need to note with Fields before we talk about when he could possibly be on the field is, you know, from an athletic standpoint, Justin Fields is off the freaking charts. Right? This is a kid who can run in the 4-4s. This is a kid who is built like a stud athlete. But he's also not a run-first quarterback. He has the chops as a passer. If you go back and watch some of the throws that he made at Ohio State, you can see he, he absolutely has a monster arm. Now, the one drawback to him is that from a preparation standpoint, is he exactly prepared to step in on day one and be an NFL starter? I don't think so. I think we can say that for sure about Trevor Lawrence. I think we can say it about Trey Lance. And obviously, given the situation, Zach Wilson, whether he's ready or not, is going to be a starter. But I don't think we can say that about Justin Fields. And that's not a knock on this kid whatsoever. The gap between college and pro, it's enormous. We know that. We should know it at least. Especially at that position. So, that's a big question. When is he actually going to be... And I don't even think we can say ready to be a starter. Because, I, I, hey, in a lot of ways, was Josh Allen ready to be a starter until this year? <laughs> like, his first two years, he probably wasn't ready, but he was out there anyway. And I think that's what we're going to see with Fields. By the way, I should note, too, anybody at all out there who makes any sort of comp of Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins, you're doing it wrong. You are helmet scouting, and there is no comparison between these two. Fields is in a different universe from Dwayne Haskins, from a from a skill standpoint, from a, you know future NFL starting quarterback standpoint, all of that. I know people are going to say, well, Haskins was a bust, so Fields, no, not at all. 
And people tried to pull that crap in the pre-draft process, and it is exactly as I said. It's crap. So when is he ready to start? When is the team ready to start him? Because I do think Andy Dalton is going to be under center in week one. How long does he hold that job? Week one, by the way, is against the Rams, so have fun with that. Then you get the Bengals, Browns, Lions. So you have two games out of your first four that are you know very winnable games for this team. The Browns are going to be tough, and the Rams are going to be tough. You get the Raiders after that, then the Packers. Then the Bucks, 49ers, Steelers, and then you're into your bye. So if you don't have him starting, I mean, honestly, week four would be a good time to pull the Band-Aid off. You don't have him starting by week five. Do you have a lot of confidence? Or, or week six. Let's say week six is the cutoff line. You don't have confidence in throwing him in in week seven against the Bucks, week eight against the 49ers, and even the Steelers. Not much confidence as your first game. And really, you, wouldn't you want to put him in in a position where he's, you know, he, he can be successful in his first game, successful enough? So if it doesn't happen by week six, I don't think it happens until week 11. That being said, I do think week five is the is the mark for me. So the first month of the season, we get Andy Dalton. They go if they went if they go one and three, then there's going to be a lot of pressure to get him on the field, especially if they go zero and four with Detroit on the schedule. But you get him in there against the Raiders. It's a doable game. It's not a pushover of a game, but it's a doable game for him. Now, once he gets in, I have no doubt Justin Fields, with his ability to run, is going to be a QB2 for fantasy purposes. So keep that in mind. Is he draftable in a one-quarterback league? I would say no, because you're going to have to sit on him very likely for a month. Now, that could change as we get closer to the season, but given the information we have now, no, not draftable for me. Two-quarterback league, abso-freaking-lutely. In fact, he's an ideal third quarterback in a two-quarterback league. If you can get him there, you might not be able to get him. Now, of course, he will be throwing the football to Allen Robinson, who is a stud. He has 200 catches over the last two years. Considering the quarterback play that he had over that span, that's pretty freaking remarkable. Robinson is a borderline RB or wide receiver one, that is, or you could call him top 12. He projects at 13 for me, but it's, it's so close. Darnell Mooney is an upside guy who I am targeting as a, a wide receiver five type. And I think he takes a step forward. And unfortunately, I do think the Anthony Miller ship has set sail. And it's not coming back. It isn't. So pretty straightforward among the wide receivers. Now, I did mention Cole Komet is a very interesting player. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about Cole Komet's outlook in year two of his NFL career. That's coming up right after the break. And uh, we are back here, so let's talk a little bit about the tight end position for the Chicago Bears. You still do have Jimmy Graham in the mix, but Cole Komet is there. And, you know, as we head into this season, I mean, really, we have to consider what he did down the stretch last year in order to project things out. Uh, so, so often, I see this mistake made all the time, people will look to the entire body of work so the entire season, and then use that to gauge what to expect this year. Really, we need to look at sort of like the final month, five weeks or so of the season last year, because honestly, he started the season out well behind Jimmy Graham, and I didn't really have high expectations for him. I don't think a lot of people did for fantasy, because you know, in some ways, he may have come out a year too early from Notre Dame, but he showed himself down the stretch. 
Over the final five weeks of the season, he was a top 20 fantasy tight end. And during that span, he nearly doubled up Jimmy Graham in targets 29 to 15. So for me, he's a late round guy. Jimmy Graham's done for fantasy purposes at this point. But Komet is a late round guy. Definitely worth a dart as an upside option. Right now, projecting him at 79 targets. Uh, by the way, that's third on the team. I have Allen Robinson with 140, go figure. Then 96 for Mooney, 79 for Komet. 79 for Komet is, you know, again, doubling up Jimmy Graham, essentially, where I have Jimmy Graham at 38. So I would leave Komet 52 catches, 483, and three scores. Jimmy Graham, 25 catches, 240, and three scores because he's a red zone asset. Komet's numbers don't really, like, jump off the page. It's not like they're uber, uber sexy, but he's a 3-for-32-ish three type guy with these numbers. You know, 3-for-32 over the course of a 17-game season, that gives you, you know, 51 catches, so I have him right above that. And then yardage-wise, you're looking at 544 receiving yards, so he's a little below that. He's a slightly lower dot, but basically that's the type of guy he is. And if you're brand new to this podcast, a 3-for-32 guy is a tight end who catches three balls for 32 yards on average. Like, it's always in and around that range, 3-for-29, 3-for-35. And those guys are maddeningly frustrating for fantasy purposes, which, by the way, it's like out of the starting tight ends in the NFL, it's like 70% of those guys are 3-for-32 guys. Because if they don't score a touchdown, they're poor options regardless of the scoring format, whether it's PPR or non-PPR, whatever. That's basically what Cole Komet's going to be. So he does have a high ceiling, but 3-for-32 guys tend to be touchdown dependent in terms of their production. So just keep that in mind with him uh, this year. But I do like him, and I like the trajectory, especially for dynasty purposes. Now let's talk about this backfield, though. Because if we had only a memory of what happened down the stretch last year, then obviously we are going to... Well, we're going to think pretty highly of David Montgomery. He finished as fantasy's number four running back, and he possibly even won you your league. But there were really two important reasons why all of that happened. It was kind of a perfect storm for David Montgomery. First and foremost, it was a Tariq Cohen injury early in the season. So Cohen gets hurt. And behind Cohen, the Bears had nothing. Diddly freaking squat. They had... Uh, Ryan Nall, <laughs> one snap a game. Ryan Nall, I I laugh because I, I he's like one of those deep dynasty guys. That like you, you know, he's a PG thirteen guy. We really hope it's gonna happen for Ryan Nall, but it doesn't really happen for him. And then they were trying to jam the Cordero Patterson as a running back narrative down our throats, <laughs> which yay. <laughs> but really, it was David Montgomery, and and that was almost it. And then off, in addition to that, his schedule down the stretch was so. Soft. So soft. So over the first nine weeks of the season, David Montgomery had a ton of volume, but he was only 14th among running backs in fantasy scoring. So he was an RB2. Maybe slightly exceeded expectations because he was being drafted as like, you know, back end of the teens, possibly like 2021 off the board, right in that range. But then when we get to essentially the final six weeks, final six games of the season, Montgomery goes up against Four of the league's bottom six run defenses, Texans, Jags, Lions, and Vikings, and faced the Packers twice, and the Packers also struggled against the run last year. It was the perfect storm. Not only did he have the volume, 
He had a, this, a, a schedule that was a gift from the gods. Like, seriously. That schedule set up so freaking well for him that if he didn't do well, then obviously it would be a major indictment of him overall. So if you simply look back to last year and expect a repeat of that performance, well, you have something else coming to you this year because not only is Tariq Cohen back, so now you have Tariq Cohen in the passing game. Montgomery will get his, but he's like a two-catch-a-game type guy, whereas Cohen's closer to maybe almost a three-catch-a-game type guy. You also add in veteran Damian Williams, who knows this Matt Nagy offense from their time together in Kansas City, and you draft Khalil Herbert, who I think is a pretty solid player out of Virginia Tech, probably more special teams oriented early on, but gives you much more depth than you had last year. You have way more depth here. So not only is that depth beneficial if somebody gets hurt, but it's also beneficial in that you don't have to use David Montgomery anywhere near as much as you did last year. Currently projecting out 225 carries, which is solid, 937, nine touchdowns, 32 catches, 295, and a score RB19. So no, he is not going to be an RB1. I don't think anybody is there with him right now, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not assuming you are. I'm, he's an RB2. We're back to where we were last year. Montgomery is sort of meh a little bit. And if he doesn't have a situation where he's going to absolutely rack up massive volume or have a crazy good schedule, he's an RB2. So that's where we are. Like Justin Fields' presence for this team, but don't know exactly when he's going to start. Allen Robinson's a stud. Darnell Mooney has upside. And David Montgomery is a boring RB2. Also, Cole Komet has a little bit of upside. There you go, the Chicago Bears 2021 fantasy football outlook. Of course, next on the docket, the Cincinnati Bengals. That'll be coming up tomorrow, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. At Jeff Ratcliffe on Twitter, at Jeff Ratcliffe on Instagram. That's me. And don't forget to check out all the other podcasts here on the Sawdust Podcast Network. And FTNFantasy.com for all my fantasy football projections. All right, I will catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here.